I'm Mary Parker, and welcome to this episode of Eureka's Sounds of Science. Vaccine boosters have been in the news a lot recently. While everyone is talking about COVID, I started to wonder about the history of boosters in general. Joining me to answer some of my questions is Dr. Peter Matos, a consulting physician for Charles River. Dr. Matos worked previously as a military physician and for the U.S. Department of Defense Global Emerging Infection Surveillance and Response System. He joined me recently in our video series, A Dose of Science, and I'm glad to welcome him back. Welcome, Dr. Matos. Thank you, Mary, for that kind introduction. Happy to be back here to discuss the topic of vaccines. Cool. And, you know, now that I have you back, before we get into the other questions, I'm curious, what what exactly is the U.S. Department of Defense Global Emerging Infection Surveillance and Response System? And could they have fit any more words into the name <laughs> of their department? <laughs> so GAIS is what the acronym mm-hmm. is, sits under what's called the Armed Forces Health Surveillance Center. And their job is to um, be an early detection system for emerging infectious diseases such as COVID. Well, they probably had their work cut out for them in the past couple of years then. So yes, good luck to them. My goodness. So can we start with a bit of a history lesson? How did we discover that some vaccines needed boosters? Yeah. And a matter of fact, almost all vaccines need boosters, right? Um, the one that comes to mind that you don't necessarily need a booster is smallpox. And smallpox is unique in that it's a sterilizing vaccine. And most of the time, uh, most people, you're going to have a scar on your arm from where you got your smallpox vaccine. So outside of that, almost all other vaccines, and in fact, all other vaccines require a booster. So, you know, if you think we're all adults, right? If you get a really deep cut, one of the first things we do if you come to the emergency room is we ask, when was your last tetanus shot? Mm-hmm. Right. So like for one of those things, right. So it's every, you know, you're going to need a tetanus, you know, every 10 years, if you have a really dirty wound, they recommend every five years. So most of the time your immune system needs reminding. And it's kind of like the analogy I'll make. It's like learning a language, right? If you don't practice, you forget. Well, the same is true for your immune system. If it's not reminded, it forgets. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Well, do you know why then the smallpox vaccine only needs one? Is it, it's, I think it's I have this. Very, it's unique and that it's, um, it's a sterilizing vaccine, meaning that it protects both the individual that is vaccinated and prevents spread. Hence the term sterilizing vaccine. And that's very rare in medicine. Are there any other examples or is that pretty much no, the only that's one? It. Wow. That's- I was going to say, my next question was, what are some examples of vaccines that don't need boosters? So I guess that's the only one. That's pretty much the only one to my knowledge. Is that a product of the vaccine being so awesome or is it something to do with smallpox? Both. It's the product of the vaccine, how it's delivered, and then also the virus itself, kind of both the immunology and the molecular biology of it. Wow. Okay. So what is the secret to the longevity of of vaccines that don't need boosters? So, uh, well, I guess I'm going to reword this a little bit. What's the secret to the longevity of vaccines that don't need frequent boosters? I mean, most you might want a couple, um, the HPV, for example, but they only they only need it um, every couple of years and then you're done. So is it why are those a little bit better than, say, 
Tdap that you need every 10 years? Yeah. So I think one produces a more robust and long lasting immune response. And I think the best example that comes to mind is the MMR vaccine, the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, right? You know, as, as a child, we get multiple doses. And then the recommendation is that at some point over your lifetime, you may require one or two doses depending on what you're doing. So let's say if you're traveling and to a country where um, the measles, mumps, MMR is not widely utilized. Mm -hmm. What I would do is if you came to see me in travel clinic, I would get a titer and see how strong your immune response is. And let's say your titer was low, I would give Mm. you a booster. With measles, mumps, and rubella, it really depends on how strong an immune response you get. So maybe you only need one dose of one booster in your lifetime, or maybe you need two doses in your lifetime. You know, the recommendation is one to two doses, depending on the indication for the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a uh, titer. What is a titer test? Yeah, so that we, we don't have yet for COVID. Mm-hmm. A titer basically tells you how strong your immune response is to a vaccine. And it also helps us understand how long that immunity will last. So the example is, you know, I'm being a physician, I get my blood draw, you know, for measles, mumps, rubella. And being that I was born in the early 70s, I did not have a chickenpox vaccine. So I always have to get my titer drawn for varicella, for chickenpox. So that's the point of a titer. So a titer tells you the strength of the immune response to the vaccine, and it also tells you the length. Well, the problem here is that titer is not set yet for COVID-19, for instance, Mm -hmm. because we don't have enough data, right? It's only been around for now a year and a half and some change. And we need, that'll be set over time based on both, you know, the immune response, they'll come up with a curve and then we'll get data over the next decade to say, okay, if you have these many immune cells, this is how long your COVID-19 vaccine should last. Unfortunately, I think COVID is going to be similar to kind of like flu. We're probably mm-hmm. going to need one every year, unfortunately. So getting back to the standard stuff, how did we arrive at the current recommended vaccine schedule for children and adults? Yeah. So over many decades of study of you know following both children and adults to see how long these vaccines um, last, how long does the immunity last in an ind- individual? What does that curve look like, both based on time and the number of immune cells based over time? So that data has been built up over the past 50 years, Hmm. and that's how we've kind of come up with the schedule for both children and adults. Okay. And so that's kind of the part of the the COVID puzzle, I guess, where we can't really um, cut corners. We can't go any faster. We're just going to have to spend time watching it and seeing what happens. Correct. Yeah, that that's probably the frustrating part. Some things in nature just take as long as they take, I suppose. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> so uh, what are some of the vaccines and boosters that are recommended based on the work conducted at Charles River? Great question. So I think one of them would be, you know, just like 
for most healthcare providers, right? Hepatitis B, which used to be called the medical student's disease, right? Because medical students are learning how to be physicians and work with needles. They would get Mm -hmm. pricked a lot. So Mm -hmm. hepatitis B would be one. So any type of bloodborne illness. Um, The other would be any type of respiratory um, virus. If you're working with, um, you know, flu uh, or pertussis, you know, whooping cough. Um, If you're working with a select agent like smallpox, you would want to make sure that you're vaccinated. Um, Those are some of the vaccines. And then, of course, I think, you know, the general vaccines that we recommend to all adults, plus, you know, your annual flu vaccines. I think those are the things that, you know, anyone that works at Charles River should have. And anyone that works with bloodborne pathogens should definitely have hepatitis B and also the normal adult vaccines, too. I thought about having to get vaccines when you travel. I hadn't thought about having to get vaccines depending on your job. Yes. You know, so for instance, in the military, I think we have an anthrax vaccine that's pretty unique. So I'm not sure, but if you had people at Charles River that worked with a select agent such as anthrax, they would probably be required to have that vaccine. Do you think that eventually a booster for COVID will be recommended? Or is it more likely that we will need to develop different vaccines to account for the variants, kind of like the flu? So the answer is both. So I think... (laughs) So I think what we're going to see is, I think the science probably supports a booster somewhere in the 9 to 12 month range for fully immune competent individuals and for those individuals that are at risk with a suppressed immune system, you know, so anyone that has any type of autoimmune disorder or they're over 65, you know, the Israeli data um, from Pfizer looks like it supports getting a booster sometime in that six to nine month range. Mm -hmm. Um, That guidance is still evolving. I expect that the FDA and CDC will come out with guidance for boosters within the United States. And remember, a booster is just a reminder, right? It's kind of like a flashcard, right? If I show you a flashcard once, maybe you remember it. But if I show it to you three times, you're probably going to have better memory of whatever was on that flashcard. It's the same thing with your immune system. Um, The more frequent boosters, the more likely we are to help your immune system remember how to fight off COVID-19. And there was an Israeli study specifically looking at giving boosters to these at-risk folks, and they did find that they were able to mount a more robust and effective immune response against the COVID-19 Delta variant. So I think boosters work. Then you brought up another question, which is a new vaccine uh, recipe, or basically Mm -hmm. it's the same vaccine, but with an updated spike protein. And I think those will probably be coming out sometime this winter. Best guess, based on what I'm reading right now, sometime in the December to January timeframe, we'll have updated vaccines. So I think there's two things. One is a booster, which is pretty much getting the same vaccine that we got this past year. And the other is a new updated vaccine. And I think those will come later this year. I guess I hadn't thought about the flu vaccine in terms of needing FDA approval every year, because obviously it doesn't. Do you think that'll be kind of similar for COVID where you'll just get an updated version of it each year? Yes, that's exactly correct. So it's the same vaccine, same components, and we have all of the data on that. Mm -hmm. What's new is just kind of the, the molecular biology of what is going into the vaccine. So you know, for example, one year, um, maybe your your vac- your flu vaccine is H5N6 with something else. Mm-hmm. And the next year, it's H3N2 with something else. And that's, you know, 
hexidase and neuronamidase, which are like the binding sites for flu. Um, so, you know, something along those. So maybe rather than spike protein one, two, three, it's going to have spike protein five, six, seven. Something along those lines is what we're probably going to see over the next few years. You're going to have a probably a yearly update for COVID. That's actually kind of comforting to think of. We think of COVID as this giant life-changing thing, and it obviously has been. It's changed the whole world. But if we can integrate it into our lives in the same way that we do the flu vaccine, then it actually seems like we might possibly get back to a sort of semblance of normal. Yes. That's good. That's good to know. We'll get there. Not as fast (laughs) as any of us would like, but we will get there. Well, science takes time. And I think that uh, if, if we've learned that, we've definitely learned that in the last year. Yes, for sure. I think, you know, now that we're not wearing masks, people aren't socially distancing, you know, we can expect a rebound of flu and all of the other usual respiratory illnesses, such as, you know, bacterial pneumonia for kids, respiratory syncytial virus. We're already seeing um, a huge increase in those things. So Mm -hmm. I think this fall, it's, it's very important to not only make sure that you've gotten your COVID vaccine, but also make sure that you get your flu vaccine too. I expect we're going to have a very busy fall for respiratory illnesses. Yeah. Um, people, people have been wanting to get back together with friends and family for a long time. I could see that spiking, uh, even maybe more so than previous years. Um, not, not, you know, understandably we're all, we're all desperate to see our friends and family. Yes. But we need to make sure that we're protected and so are they. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Peter. This has been extremely helpful and enlightening and also kind of comforting. You're welcome and (laughs) stay positive and get vaccinated. Will do. Will do.